0: This is The Guardian.
1: I'm Laura Murphy-Oates, and this is The Full Story. It's a new day for the Liberal National Party, and they're facing it with new leaders. Liberal MP and former Defence Minister Peter Dutton will step up as opposition leader, and Nationals MP David Littleproud deputy leader. As rural and regional editor Gabrielle Chan describes, the new deputy leader
2: is... A bit of a shy beast when it comes to leadership. He's been seen as the kind of natural successor. Which, as political editor Catherine Murphy outlines,
1: is in stark contrast to the high-profile partisan politics of
0: Peter Dutton. You know, he is the blunt instrument of the Liberal Party and has been for quite some time.
1: After a disastrous election result, especially for the Liberal Party, where will these two leaders steer the coalition? And how will their decisions shape policy and politics during the next parliament? Today, the new face of the coalition. It's Thursday, the 2nd of June.
2: So, Gabby, can you take us back to Monday morning? What were you doing and what happened? I drove into Canberra, which is a long way from me, but I couldn't miss out on it. Gabrielle Chan is Guardian Australia's rural and regional editor. The National Party went into their meeting to discuss the election results and spill the leadership at 10 o'clock The Nationals always spill their leadership after every election. It's part Mm. of their process. It doesn't happen in other parties like that. And so it ended up being this enormous meeting, two and a half hours. And at the end of it, Mark Coulton, the party whip, stepped out and announced that David Littleproud had been elected the new leader of the National Party, deposing Barnaby Joyce.
3: Following uh, a ballot in the National Party room, uh, the member for Maranoa, David Littleproud, is the leader of the Nationals.
2: And Senator Perrin Davey has become the deputy.
3: Uh, and Senator Perrin Davey from New South Wales is the deputy leader.
2: With Bridget McKenzie staying on as the party's Senate leader. And then we heard from David Littleproud.
3: 40 years ago, I joined the National Party as a six-year-old boy handing out for my father at the Chinchilla Courthouse as he tried to become the member for Condomine. I am all that is the National Party. I believe passionately in the National Party because we are all there is about regional and rural Australia. We are the conscience of rural and regional Australia right here in this
1: place. Now, before we get into the new leader, David Littleproud, I just want to take a moment to discuss the outgoing leader, Barnaby Joyce. His statement about the leadership
2: vote was very interesting. Well, basically, he opens up with
3: Well, I suppose you think I'm sad. Not really.
2: He underlines what he sees as his legacy, creating investment projects. Remember, he's infrastructure minister.
3: I gave every ounce of my energy to make sure I looked after the people of regional Australia, the people in the small family businesses, the people on the Weatherboard 9, those people on the farms, making sure that we drove the investments to hopefully take their standard of living
2: here. Uh, don't worry about me, I'm going to do what I love and that is represent the people of New England.
3: Where I'll have more time to get around my electorate and to be a person of service to them.
2: That is just so confusing on so many levels. I'll tell you why. He only deposed Michael McCormack, the former leader, last year. You know, he said later that this was a great weight off his shoulders. It really just continues a sort of consistency with Joyce's leadership around confusion. Right. Why would you bother to
1: depose someone a year ago if what he's saying now is that he's actually very happy to be relieved
2: of the leadership? Well, he was asked, will you ever have another tilt at the leadership? And he told his local ABC Tamworth radio station he didn't rule it out. So who knows where Barnaby Joyce goes next? No one knows. Stay tuned, listeners. There's been
1: a lot of talk about this change of leadership being necessary because Barnaby, as leader, lost the coalition votes at the election. But Barnaby himself has been painting a
2: rosier picture of the election result. Can you talk me through that? Obviously, a lot of city seats, known as the teal seats, were campaigning that a vote for, insert MP, was a vote for Barnaby Joyce. That was actually happening in some of the rural seats where independents were running. So for the first time, Barnaby is not an asset in those rural seats. And, while he he is right in that the National Party held all its seats, they suffered some pretty big primary swings. You know, in the seat of Nichols, uh, the Independent attracted 25% of the primary votes. You know, the National Party candidate there lost 24%. That's a pretty big swing. Remarkable that you can keep a seat with a swing that big, right? Yeah. And and I guess that goes to the margins in some of these rural seats. Because there's not a lot of competition or there hasn't been in the past, some of the Nats are sitting on pretty big margins. And so it gives them a buffer in a way that a lot of the city marginal seats don't have. So while Barnaby came out post-election and was talking up his results, even some of the National Party MPs were saying that Barnaby Joyce was a drag on the coalition votes, including Darren Chester. The other thing we saw is some data on this just before the party room meeting uh, from the Australia Institute, and that is that three in five voters saw Barnaby Joyce as a drag on the vote as a negative, and that's changed things. Two out of five were coalition voters. So Joyce is out, Little Proud is in.
1: What do we need to know about David Little Proud? Who is he and what does he stand for?
2: Well, he hasn't been in the parliament very long, I think two terms, but he's had a meteoric rise. He's a banker um, from Queensland. He was born in Chinchilla, which is a small town in Western Queensland's Darling Downs.
3: Growing up in Chinchilla was the quintessential childhood in a small country town. Plenty of mates, cricket, football, tennis, swimming, fishing and camping. You weren't just raised by your family in Chinchilla, but by the entire community.
2: He has a long family history in the National Party. His father was in the National Party, Brian Littleproud, deputy leader of the nationals in that state. So he has mm. a long lineage, uh, but that's about all we know personally. I guess he rose to the ministry quickly and and people did identify, to be fair, that he looked like he had some talent to rise through the National Party. And so he quickly became Agriculture Minister after a couple of other portfolios. He's held portfolios around natural disaster, emergency management. He's held the water portfolio. So mm. he's he's gone through a lot of portfolios in quick succession. Mm just looking at his track record and his ideology,
1: what types of things do you think we could see from Little Crowd, especially on some of the key policy issues like climate change?
2: He's saying coming out of the blocks of, as leader.
3: This is not about the National Party, lurching left or lurching right. It's using common sense and being in the sensible centre.
2: You know, that he wants to return the National Party to the sensible centre. And, of course, the sensible centre is relative to everyone's eyes. I think social issues, he will be a conservative. You know, he voted against marriage equality and that reflected what happened in his electorate. Uh, He's already said that he wouldn't buy the Labor target of 43% emissions reductions by 2030, but he is welded on to the 2050 zero target.
3: We've made an eminently sensible, sensible decision to be part of a global community. The global community simply asked us to sign up to net zero by 2050. And our plan is about technology, not taxes.
2: He's created a pretty interesting pilot program on carbon and biodiversity, and that allows farmers and landholders to be paid for building carbon, carbon and protecting biodiversity. So that's an interesting program. And I think he would call it, you know, a practical climate action program. And I sense that's a piece that he would like to leave as a legacy. I just want to drill down a little bit on some of the things you've just mentioned there on
1: climate change. It sounds like he's proud of some practical programs that will do something in the regions on carbon. But last time I spoke to him, was about three years ago. And there were some weasel words around climate change and whether it was caused by man and, you know, whether it was natural. He does have an interesting history on his statements around climate change.
2: Is that right, Gabs? He does. I got the sense that he'd sort of gone off the rails, you know, down a goat track on climate change for a while. And if anything, the election results underlined how he can't stray off that path to committing to net zero by 2050. You know, and it must be said, that's a very mild target, net zero by 2050. So I don't think he'll have any problems landing that, notwithstanding the feather fluffing by people like Matt Canavan. Mm. So, as you mentioned, there were some
1: significant swings away from the Nats in key seats this election. Not any that cost them their seats, but some came close. What would this move to the sensible centre mean in those seats and for the national space? Do you think that this will be welcomed?
2: I think what it means is those key issues that the independents campaigned on integrity in government, on women's equality issues, on climate change, on water policy. If they want to return to the sensible centre, they're going to have to accept or talk about or create and formulate policies around those sorts of issues. It's no accident that when he stood up for his first press conference, he was flanked by Perrin Davey, the new deputy leader, and Bridget McKenzie, the leader in the Senate. So two women standing behind him trying to present this more sensible party on things like women's issues and collaborative style of politics. What could this change in direction and
1: leadership mean for the Nationals' relationship with the Liberal Party?
2: Assuming that they stay in coalition, in opposition, uh, that coalition agreement will be refreshed under the two new leaders. I think the key question for me is how they deal in opposition, And remembering the National Party is really an animal of the eastern states. There is a variant in WA and they do things quite differently there. So how the Nats and the Libs deal in opposition is going to be a really interesting point. I get the sense that Little Proud is going to be a little more easy to deal with than Joyce. And how that plays out for him in a leadership sense will be really interesting because Joyce's big selling point was always that he stood up to the Liberal Party, you know, that he had this kind of very outward-facing National Party brand. And so if the Nats transition to a more coalitionist style of agreement, then, you know, that could cause problems for Little Proud amongst the more Bolshy members poor choice of words, I know, but the more bolshie members are the Nats.
1: Mm, So they could become more coalitionist or they could not remain in coalition at all.
2: Is there any sense of what Little Proud will do? I mean, the hard part with Little Proud is he's a bit of an unknown quantity. And I think uh, like all all of us he's kind of making it up as he goes along so he'll have to have those discussions now with Dutton discussions with his own party members he's going to have to deal with how Barnaby Joyce plays his role on the back bench he's going to have to decide whether to give Joyce a shadow position so all of these questions will determine you know how his leadership goes in future and what sort of leader he becomes
1: Next, Catherine Murphy on the Liberal Party under Peter Dutton. So, Murph, on Monday we saw a new Liberal leadership team emerge with Peter Dutton at the helm and Susan Lee as his deputy. Before we talk about the broader party, I want to talk about Peter Dutton the Politician. Many people would be familiar with him and his bruising style of politics. How would you describe his political career?
0: Well, he's certainly a memorable politician, isn't he, Laura? Mm Mm-hmm. You know he is the blunt instrument of the Liberal Party and has been for quite some time. He's the sort of the chief power broker in the Liberal Party's right faction. Mm. Uh, and look, he, he is he is what he is. Uh, before he was a politician and a business person, he was a Queensland police officer, and he presents like one in the sense that the world's black and white, and you're you're on the right side of the line or the wrong side of the line. Mm you know, people will all have their own reasons for having noticed him over the years, but there's been quite a lot of rhetoric, obviously, about, uh, you know, people who arrive unauthorised by boat, people in offshore immigration detention, um, famously, uh, and something that, that he addressed in his first press conference, actually, he he boycotted Kevin Rudd's apology to the stolen generation. Uh, you know, he, he wasn't present in the chamber. He now acknowledges that's a mistake, but he wasn't present in the chamber. There's been all kinds of, like, cop-like rhetoric around African gangs.
3: You know, when the police are given direction from the Premier and from the state government down there, uh, which is really a a go-soft message, it's unacceptable. And the reality is... You know, people are scared to go to restaurants at the night time because they're followed home by these gangs. Home invasions and cars are stolen.
0: There was also the famous incident where uh, he was uh, thought he was off camera, where he made a joke about water lapping at the door for mm. Pacific Island countries. Uh, to be fair to uh, Peter Dutton, he has walked those comments back over time. He has apologised for them and made it clear that it was sort of an off-colour remark that he didn't mean to be broadcast to the entire world. So look, I think everybody would have a Peter Dutton story. This type of rhetoric has been pretty
1: controversial and we have seen Dutton try and step back from it before, attempt a bit of a makeover when he last pitched for the party leadership at the time he vowed to smile more, I remember. He's also been on a media blitz this week. Are we seeing a similar message from Dutton that he can change? What he's saying is he wants us all to see
3: the full picture. All I would say is that I'm not going to change, but I want people to see the entire person that I am. I'm not as bad as the ABC sometimes might report. And on
0: Sunrise, a breakfast television program, he sort of presented himself as a, you know, sort of secret, cuddly individual
3: I've got a soft centre, tough exterior, but soft centre, and I've got to show people the complete character.
0: I don't think Peter Dutton is going to sort of unzip himself from his Peter Dutton onesie, right, <laughs> and and all of a sudden be a completely different character because I think there's elements of his own political character that I think he thinks will work for him in opposition. If he's a more interesting, rounded character than what people have previously seen in the in the public domain... It's incumbent on him to develop what he has never before exhibited in his political career, and that is light and shade, mm. right? Peter Dutton has only ever kind of barreled down the road at one speed. So, Peter Dutton will lead
1: a party that's likely to hold just 58 or 59 seats in the House of Representatives, down from 76 prior to the election. Can you tell me a bit about the makeup? of the
0: party that Dutton will lead. There's a bit of a sort of mythology that's kind of popped up post-election that there are no moderates left in the Liberal Party, right, that they're all extinct. Mm. That's not right. There are senior moderates obviously still left. But basically, look, six moderates lost their seats. This is in the Liberal Party's progressive inner city heartland. And so now there's a sort of live debate happening in the Liberal Party about how the liberal party needs to respond to the messages from the election mm. some right wingers say the the correct response to the election is for the liberal party to move further right obviously the moderates disagree with that strongly the moderates have counselled peter dutton to basically sue for peace on climate change mm. match labor's policy on climate change uh, and also you know and use that as the bedrock of trying to reconnect with the liberal party's inner city center right progressive vote mm.
1: So you have this partisan leader now ascended into leadership with a big choice to make about where to steer the party going forward.
0: Has he given a strong indication of which road he's going to take so far? Yeah, he has. Certainly in his opening statements as leader, he's sort of indicated to us that he believes the Liberal Party's, you know, pathway back to victory is through the outer suburbs and the regions.
3: Our policies will be squarely aimed at the forgotten Australians in the suburbs across regional Australia. Under my leadership, the Liberal Party will be true to our values that have seen us win successive elections over the course of the last quarter of a century.
0: That's where he thinks the Liberal Party can assemble a majority and come back into majority government. You know, that's where he sees his strategy going because uh, he sort of wants to kind of pivot, I guess, away from Morrisonism in this sense. He sort of wants to dial down some of the culture wars and get back to a sort of cost of living, bread and butter, economic pitch, right, to people in the outer suburbs and the regions. Um, And also, you know, it's sort of like, it's a bit of a found strategy for him. And by found strategy, I mean, you know, you make a virtue of necessity, right? Peter Dutton, You know, unless he literally does find another onesie and put it on and become a completely different political character. Peter Dutton is not the Liberal Party's best weapon to woo inner city progressives. He doesn't really speak to that constituency and I don't know that that constituency will necessarily listen to him. But he does sense that there is some utility in his own political brand, right, the sort of no-nonsense, black-and-white, tough guy, bread-and-butter, suburban person to appeal to voters in the outer suburbs and the regions. What does that
1: strategy look like, pitching to those voters in the suburbs? Is he going to
0: shift on any key coalition policies? On day one, during his press conference, he said a couple of really interesting things, just in terms of neutralising issues that were very problematic for the Liberal Party in this election.
3: So I welcome the scrutiny. I think it's a good thing. Uh, the nuance and the detail, uh, we'll be able to work through that. And I'm keen to engage with Helen Haynes, uh, for whom I have a great deal of respect.
0: He said, I'm not opposed to an integrity commission. And uh, what's more, I'm going to have a chat to Helen Haynes, the independent who has been pushing an integrity commission all through the last parliament. Mm. He's basically saying we're going to neutralise that as an issue, right? Some integrity commission is going to pass in, this, in the 47th parliament and we are, to- we are going to be totally into that. And if we can cause Anthony Albanese a bit of trouble on the way by backing an independence proposal, then we'll do it. Instead of Labor's proposal for the Integrity Commission. Exactly. So you are seen to be doing the right thing, quote unquote, on integrity issues, and you're also giving Labor an administrative wedgie on the way through, right? (laughs) Uh, In terms of women, what happened on day one was Susan Lee, his deputy, made a point. My message is that I do know that there were women who abandoned the coalition at the last election, and there were women who firmly supported us. So at this point in time, as the review takes place, I will be travelling to as many parts of Australia to speak directly to the women, to hear their individual perspectives about what matters to them. Saying, you know, without weasel words, I know there are a lot of Australian women who didn't vote for us in this campaign. And now I'm the Mm -hmm. deputy leader of the Liberal Party. I'm gonna go out, I'm gonna talk to a lot of women and I'm going to determine what went wrong and how we can fix it. So integrity commission, women, tick. Then we get to climate change. As I said a minute ago, the moderates were saying to him immediately post-election, for God's sake, just sue for peace on climate, Mm -hmm. just back Labor's policy and then we can just neutralise this issue and it won't be a drag Mm -hmm. on our vote in the city. But interestingly, he is showing no intention of doing that. In fact, he's basically saying we're going to stick with the net zero by 2050 position, but I, Peter Dutton, I'm going to continue to weaponise climate action in the medium term. I'm going to turn this back into a cost of living issue, which puts us back to the Abbott formula. He feels he can still use climate change to basically woo some of Labor's base to the Liberal Party. So that's his opening pitch.
3: We'll support policies that aren't going to crush families and small businesses. And I'm worried at the moment, the Labor Party policies, uh, as they've got, make (laughs) energy less reliable and more expensive. And families at the moment can't afford that because they can't afford to fill their car. They're seeing grocery prices go up. They know that uh, their rents are going up or that interest rates, if they go up, that they'll have to pay more in their mortgage. And they are worried.
0: It means that every time power prices go up, he's going to say, that's because of Labor's climate change policy. Every time petrol goes up, Peter Dutton is going to say, that's because of Labor's climate change policy. Every time... Food prices go up. Peter Dutton is going to say that's because of Labor's climate change policy. That's the sort of political mind he sees as profitable for his leadership.
1: Does it matter that the Liberals or the coalition won't sue for peace on climate, aren't going to be talking about 2030 targets in the next couple of years? Uh,
0: look, I think we need to think about the road not taken for a minute. I think if Josh Frydenberg, the former Treasurer, had not lost his seat of Koo Yong, he would be the Liberal Party leader. As we're preparing this episode, Dutton would have fought him for it, but I think Josh Frydenberg would have been the Liberal leader. Mm. Uh, I think Anthony Albanese was hoping that Josh Frydenberg would be the Liberal leader for two reasons. He saw Frydenberg as a person who he could work with on climate change and also a person he could work with in terms of his Indigenous agenda, in terms of constitutional entriment of the voice. Albanese was certainly hoping for that sort of opportunity perhaps to end the climate wars between the major parties. Mm. Now, obviously, the opportunity for that disappeared with Josh Frydenberg. Peter Dutton is, is not going to do that, right? And this plays back to his pathway to victory, that he thinks there are Labor seats to flip in the regions and the outer suburbs. Peter Dutton will have to chart a pretty strong path back from where they are
1: now, losing so many seats from this election. Can he do it, given the mandate that Labor has gotten this election and given he's got three years to come back from such
0: a fall from grace? Well, look, it's its a hell of a thing for the Liberal Party to work out how it can form majority government after one term in opposition. I'm just talking about the electoral mathematics of it. Yeah. It's extremely difficult. A whole lot of things would have to go wrong in order for Peter Dutton to have any chance of turning this around. Basically, there is now a teal buffer between the Liberal Party and majority government. Mm. And that's that's a structural issue that the Liberal Party is going to have to deal with. It's, it's an issue that the Labor Party has been dealing with for more than a decade because of the Greens. It is genuinely difficult for the Liberals to turn this around in one term. But I think listeners should just bear this in mind, though. It is quite easy for Peter Dutton to flip a couple of Labor seats in the next federal election and push the Labor Party into minority government. If I were Dutton, I would think this is a two-term electoral strategy. Step one, over this coming term in Parliament, you set yourself a target of flipping five Labor seats. That puts Labor into minority government. So then You've got a term of minority government, which then Dutton can basically approach as a Tony Abbott like opposition leader. And Abbott was extraordinarily effective at telling the Australian people the minority government or the minority parliament did not function. It was complete bollocks, but he was incredibly effective at sending that message. So it is actually very easy for him to basically pull the Labor Party out of majority and then use that as a weapon to basically be back in majority government by the end of of a second term. There is a pathway back. It's a hard pathway, but you can see how Peter Dutton's political brand works for that pathway. You can see how he thinks he can leverage this situation in order to get the Liberals back into government within two terms.
1: That was Catherine Murphy, Guardian Australia's political editor and earlier Gabrielle Chan, Guardian Australia's rural and regional editor. You can read their reporting and analysis on the new coalition leaders, including Murph's piece, Peter Dutton's formula will be a bit less culture war, a lot less religion, and more traditional liberal policy at theguardian.com. We've linked to a few of their pieces on the Full Story page as well. This episode was produced by Alison Chan and Joe Koning. Sound design and mixing by Camilla Hannan. The executive producers of Full Story are Gabrielle Jackson, Miles Matignoni and me. Laura murphy If you liked this episode, don't forget to leave a rating or a review. It does help other people find the show. Okay, we'll be back with the newsroom edition of Full Story tomorrow.